Good morning. Pastor had asked me to read our passage this morning from Philippians 2, 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let me repeat that particular verse, please. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Amen. King's kids, if you are in second grade on down, you're free to go. Oh, I have an extra bulletin. Does anybody need a bulletin? All right, come in. Good, you're fast enough. You can come up here. I don't need to go all the way for you. Anybody else need it? You can have my second one. Okay, I'm keeping this one then. Philippians chapter 2. I've really been thinking a lot about that that mindset. Uh, Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. And Paul commands us to have a mind like that. Paul would not command that to us if it were not possible. So, how are you doing? Is the mind of Christ becoming your mindset? It's not your natural mindset. This is why he has to go on and then say, have the mind of Christ and work it out. Because it's work. You are battling against primarily yourself. You can't, you can't lay your lack of spiritual living or spiritual knowledge on the devil, it's you. It's you. You are your own worst enemy. And yet, your salvation is a light that Jesus wants you to unleash. Shine. Shine is the title of the message today. Last week was work. This week is shine, and next week is rejoice. What does it look like to shine? How do I know if I'm shining? Paul is offering us this morning four proofs that you are saved. Four proofs. Four things you can look for in your life to prove to yourself, to convince your own heart 
to assure yourself of your own salvation, redemption, and relationship with God. To assure yourself that indeed the Holy Spirit has given me salvation and it's working and it's doing something and it's showing up. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list from Paul to us. There are other ways to state this, but in this concise little passage, almost as a sidebar, because the big idea here is the mind of Christ is humility and humbleness. Work out your salvation. He kind of blows through this little section. We're, We're going slowly because I want to absorb this. Four proofs that you are saved. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So proof number one, you grumble and complain less and less. As life is drawn out longer and longer, (laughs) you will be given more and more things to grumble about. More and more things are going to hurt or stop working. More and more of the wrong people will be at every level of society. You will undoubtedly, as you age, have more and more to dispute and grumble against. Shut your holy mouth. If I could paraphrase Paul for just a second. I never got the impression Paul was much of a people person to begin with. (laughs) He loves people, but man, that that dude will get up in your grill. He can't go right up in Peter, the apostle Peter's face. Confronts him face to face. You shouldn't be living like that. Like, okay, you think that guy's scared of anybody else (laughs) in history? No, not for a second, especially when he knows he's right. Uh, And he's not disputing. He's confronting, and he's instructing, and he's rebuking. That's different. This idea of grumbling is murmuring, (laughs) bubbling over internally. Get this. I like this definition. Bubbling over internally with secret displeasure. It doesn't even have to come out. You can have a spirit of grumbling without saying a word. Just stewing. Have you seen that? When somebody's just giving you that body language. How'd you like to manage somebody like that? Can you imagine? Or being a boss, an owner of a company, having a manager like that, that kind of person who's just always down, always negative, always dragging, always murmuring, always grumbling, (gasps) always complaining. Those people don't usually get promoted far. We are attracted to people who don't do that. We like to be around people who aren't like that. It makes sense. So in your spiritual life, one of the the proofs that you can look for in yourself is you're the kind of person who, as you grow older, you grumble and complain less and less. Paul, as we're going to see later in this book, he's learning to be content in every situation. And contentment, is a sign of spiritual maturity. We just read God's will for our lives, that we would have the mind of Christ. So if we will grumble 
and express complaints about our current situation, that is saying you are not content, you're not happy with God's will going on in your life right now. And you're going to have reasons to grumble. You have all the reasons you could ever want. In this day and age, your stage in life, there's a lot to grumble about. So why does he, why does he have to tell us, command us, to not grumble? Because he knows people. Uh, he knows me. And I don't think it's very lighthearted grumbling. Your next blank is grumbling is a horrendous sin. Because it's against the sovereign will of God. You're not just unhappy with people. You're unhappy with the people God has put in your life. You're not just unhappy with your health. You're unhappy with the health God has given you. You're not just unhappy with a tragedy. You're unhappy with the tragedy that God has allowed into your life. Behind it all is God. And anytime you're grumbling, murmuring, complaining, secretly discontent with the way things are, you are unhappy with God. You see how that's, that's crazy. But I'm just, I'm just having a bad day. No, you're not just having a bad day. You're unhappy with God. That's serious. Does that sound a little more serious than just grumbling? It is. It's not a lighthearted, easy thing. It is a symptom. A symptom that just maybe you don't have the Spirit of God. Check yourself. Examine yourself. Humble yourself before God. Ask for forgiveness. This is not an unpardonable sin. It's a normal sin that we often need to be pardoned from many times in the day. I got the wrong package in the mail. Now I got to put the, put the return address label. Then I got to make a special trip to the post office. And then, I, uh, and then there was a line at the post office. Oh, no, I got that guy as my post guy. I hate that guy. He's always... And I didn't get a good parking spot. And then you can grumble and complain and murmur about everything in life. And you know what you're not happy with? God brought a package to your porch on purpose that is not yours. So you would humble yourself and do the next right thing instead of keeping it. Because maybe it's somebody else's. But going through the, isn't that daily life? Don't, don't we get those opportunities to get a flat tire? My car won't start. I'm sick. I missed a day of work or half my classes at a track meet. <laughs> right? I mean, just, just stuff. Just stuff. And I'm, I'm using the word grumbling. It says grumbling or disputing. Disputing is just another way to express displeasure with the circumstances God has brought into your life. Um, so, if you are shining Living out your salvation appropriately. Proof number one, one of many proofs that you really are born again is you are, you are learning and at least striving and confronting your grumbling so that you grumble less and less. You're at least aware of it. And, and uh, one word of caution here, just off the script for just a second. Don't compare yourself to others. Just because you grumble less than somebody else doesn't mean you're better than somebody else. On a scale of 1 to 10, they may have been born a 10 on the grumbling scale where they grumble against everything. And now, through the grace of God, they may be an 8. They're making progress. 
but you're naturally a five. And so anybody who's above five, you're like, that person's terrible grumbler. No, don't compare yourself to other people. They may be making more progress than you because if you were born a five and you're still a five, you're not making any progress. You may be better than a lot of other people and complain less than other people, but the Spirit of God is not given, uh, you have not given Him appropriate time to change you. You should be grumbling less and less. So don't compare yourself to other people. Proof number two, that you are shining appropriately, that the God of all grace has given you salvation. You grow in holiness more and more. It's in verse 15. It says, So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. I'm reading from the New American Standard. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. So growing in holiness more and more. The word prove means to become, to emerge, or to transition into something. Specifically, he says, you are supposed to become or transition into being more blameless, being more innocent. See that process there? Some translations just say so that you will be blameless. That, that still speaks of the process. It's in the present. You will be. But e- why does it say that? Because we aren't. We are not naturally blameless or innocent of anything. There is much within us that people can blame us for, that God can blame us for. We are not innocent. So, so he doesn't present here that you just are innocent. He's presenting so that you would prove it. This is the same language as live out your salvation. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Anybody say that to you before? (laughs) Usually it's like something you can't prove, so they know they're going to, well, I'm this, this, this. Prove it. Well, nowadays you just whip out Google, right? Prove it. (laughs) That's, That's the secret. Prove it. Okay. I am progressing in my holiness. How? What's the proof of that? Um, You can blame me less and less. I'm becoming more and more innocent. And this is really the process of sanctification. I didn't have room to type it out in your notes, but there are two major things that happen when you are born again, when you are saved. One, you are justified, and then two, you begin to be sanctified. Justification is God saving me from himself. I owe God my life when I'm born again and saved in the blood of Jesus. God saves me from himself. Sanctification is God saving me from myself. Justification, God saves me from himself. But then he's got some work to do. Sanctification is the process by which God is changing my heart and saving me from myself, my own addictions, my own hang-ups, my own selfishness, my own pride, my own grumblings. I am to blame, and I need help becoming blameless. I am not innocent, and I need help becoming innocent as regarding sin, as regarding life. So this is what Paul is looking for, that you believers, this is plural again, don't miss that, that y'all would prove yourselves become more and more blameless, more and more innocent, actually being children of God. 
children of God above reproach in the midst, smack dab in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. Above reproach, that means without blemish. Some translations say it that way. God's children are expected to live and think and look differently than the rest of the world. This this idea of above reproach speaks of high morals live in a higher life. I always think of it as seated in the heavenlies. And my spell check didn't like the word heavenlies. Kind of funky. But it means to be seated in heavenly places. That's in the book of Ephesians. Having your mind, having your mindset, your spiritual attitude of, I'm not of this world. I am a child of the king. I live out of that. If God sees me as already in heavenly places with him, I need to live that out. I already have a heavenly citizenship. I need to represent God as an ambassador of Jesus. This world is not my home. These are not my people. These are my people. This world is not my people. These are my people. This is my clan. This is my tribe. I am not following a party or a leader. I have a heavenly king, Jesus, who is over not just the earth, but all spiritual powers and authorities and dominion and is now seated at the right hand of God, high and exalted up. This Jesus, who humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, even died on the cross so that now God has highly exalted him you realize that the name of jesus every knee has to bow he just blinks at him every tongue will have to confess that jesus is lord i'm doing it willingly i hope you'll join me in this life willingly confessing jesus as lord but there will come a day when even the people who don't like it will have to confess it through clenched teeth possibly even still shaking their fist as they take a knee and acknowledge Jesus as Lord to their own damnation. They don't like it, but they're going to have to say it anyway. Because when you're in front of the king, you do what the king says. We live like he's the king now. Above reproach. Blameless. Flawless. Unspoiled. This becomes a proof that we are growing in our holiness, in sanctification, where God is saving me from myself, glory by glory, day by day, prayer by prayer, moment by moment. And this, does, this should not result in a holier-than-thou mindset. We see that sometimes. And people spend a lot of time around God and spiritual things and spiritual institutions or in places of power, teaching the truth so much they can start looking down their nose and act like they're holier than everyone else. That is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is I am growing in holiness so much that I am not afraid of your sin or you. 
that I can step into any environment, any other person's life, and because I'm growing in my holiness, your sin doesn't infect me. That's Jesus. The dirtiness of his disciples' feet never intimidated him because he wasn't dirty. And he cleansed them. That's the mind of the servant. I bring what I've got into this situation, and from the bottom up, I change it all. You don't get me dirty. You don't cause me to sin. I help you get right. I bring the truth to you, and the truth sets you free. People who are growing in holiness care less and less about sin. They're not scared of sin. They're not intimidated by sin. We are set free. True holiness can withstand the presence of all wickedness and yet remain near the heart of God. That's what it means to be holy. And that gives a lot of meaning to the phrase, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Nothing evil in this world can overcome the person who operates with the mind of Christ. Ever. So as we grow, as we shine, we grumble and complain less and less. We grow in holiness more and more. Number three, third proof. Y'all shine the truth brighter and brighter. We shine the truth. We shine the truth brighter and brighter. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Here it is. Among whom... You appear as lights in the world. Among whom, right in the middle of, not from a distance, but right in the middle of, day-to-day life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, right among whom, right rubbing shoulders with them, shopping with them, driving around them, in Enid, in your sphere of influence, right among them, right in your day-to-day life, right as you're doing your shopping, right as you're doing your dishes, right in the middle of everything you're doing from day to day, you appear as lights in the world. And the word appear is shine. It means to shine forth. Not just they look at you and get what they need, but you are giving, radiating truth to them. Sometimes with your words, but always with your attitude willing to serve, willing to help, willing to step in, not afraid of sin, not intimidated by sin, not shocked by sin, not needing to always rebuke sin, but coming in with grace and mercy and truth. Ah, Jesus, hello. Being appropriate in situations at all times. And the word lights is luminaries or stars. That's crazy. I was thinking of myself as like a candle or like a lighthouse if I wanted to juice it up, but God kicks it up even more. No, no, no. Bigger than that. Like a star. Do you realize how dependable the stars are? You can count on them to be where they're going to be when you need them to be. You can navigate by them. We have been as human beings since the beginning of time. They're dependable. They're predictable. You, in your holiness, 
And your mindset and your servant's heart should be predictable, dependable. That's the proof. And as you stare into a dark night, the stars become brighter and brighter as the world around you fades away. As you focus on them, as you use tools, telescopes, you can focus more and more, and then you see details and different colors. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, they are moving, or are they? Wait, I'm moving. Wait, how does that work? <laughs> Take science class. I'll show you how that works. But even in science class, they're going to teach you those stars are moving. The universe is expanding. There is movement. It's fascinating. And yet, we don't see that. So we are to be like stars. Stars give heavenly guidance for earthbound beings. Hmm. I want to be like that. I want to be able to give heavenly guidance to people who feel like they're stuck, earthbound beings. Stuck in the cycles and the ways of life. Give them something higher and greater to look forward to. I want to basically shine like Jesus. Here's how it happens. First, first way you're going to shine is... The truth is going to change you and the way you live your life. What does it mean to shine? First, the truth changes you. The truth changes you. This is where we break addictions. We strengthen relationships. We learn to value people. We learn to value animals and nature and everything God has created in ways that honor God as the creator of heaven and earth. And it changes us inwardly, but we live it out. It changes the way we do everything. Where your daily habits become responsible, faithful, dependable. Where you quietly but strongly live convinced of some great truth that gives you purpose, meaning, and stability. In the words of Paul, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We become a stable people. We become a faithful people. And we become a people who first shine the light brightest on our own hearts and expose our own problems. And we bring those hearts, those broken hearts that need forgiveness, we bring those hearts. We shine the light brightest at ourselves. It's, it's the idea of remove the moat from your own eye first before you start going and removing two by fours from everybody else. Yes, it's easy to see where everybody else is going wrong. You know where it's hard to see? The speck in your own eye. You know where you need to shine the light brightest? Right here. Examine yourself. And if you shine it bright there, it is going to come out. It will shine to the rest of the world. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment through God's people. Who does God bring the fiercest discipline and rebuke to first? Us. That's who he holds most accountable to, to, to keep his word. His people. 
There's no wonder his, those who are not his people break his word. So conviction comes here first. Pointing out of sin here first. The brightest shining of the truth here first. Brighter and brighter. The truth changes the way you live your life. But then second, the truth comes out of your mouth. Paul expects the Philippians to preach the gospel. Yes, he wants the truth to be inward. Yes, he wants the truth to transform them. Yes, he wants them to stop grumbling, shine in their holiness, grow. He wants all of those things. And he wants them to mature to the point that Jesus comes out of their mouth regularly, consistently, into any situation, in front of any race, in front of any gender, in front of any social status. He wants these Philippians to unleash the gospel that has saved them so that it can save others. That's what Paul wants, the truth to come out where we speak words of life instead of vulgarities, words of hope instead of bitterness and rage, where we speak the gospel instead of gossip, where we make much of Christ and less of ourselves. We are a people of contentment, not grumbling. We are people who shine the truth. First proof of that is we grumble and complain less. The second proof of that truth is we grow in holiness more and more. The third proof of that truth is we shine the truth brighter and brighter. And here comes the fourth proof. You cling to the gospel tighter and tighter. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I will have no reason to glory. I will have reason to glory more, actually, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So this is verse 16. The fourth proof that you are saved is that you cling to the gospel tighter and tighter, holding fast. To hold fast to something is not a physical thing. It is an attention thing. It means to pay attention. Hold fast. If you're on a boat and the captain yells that, you drop the anchor and that's where you want to stay. Hold fast. Or if you're sailing on a certain course, hold fast to that mark. Then you watch and you stay. You keep steering and you get back on track. It means to pay attention, to stay straight, to follow the course. But you have to nonstop read the signs, remain on course, follow the marks, notice where you are, give attention to all of your surroundings. Holding fast the word of life means you keep the word of life at the forefront of your mind and your heart. You give it, a, you pay attention to it. You know, it doesn't ever fall away from you. It is there in front of your face. Word of life is another way that Paul is talking about the gospel. In chapter 1, 
chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. But down in verse 14, instead of saying the gospel, he just says the word. I'm preaching the gospel. Now other people are unafraid to preach the word. And then verse 15, instead of calling it the gospel, instead of calling it the word, he calls it preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. So when we fast forward to chapter 2, verse 16, holding fast the word of life, holding fast the gospel, holding fast preaching Christ. This is where I get the idea of uh, speaking the truth. It needs to come out of your mouth. It's tied together with that idea. But here, you're paying attention to it. And putting it in front of your own face over and over and again. The gospel should become more and more central to your life the older you get. The older you get, you're going to be tempted to start learning. You're going, and you should. You should grow in theology. You should, you should have favorite areas to study in their Bible. You're studying angels and demons. You're studying the meaning of worship. You're studying a prophet. You're studying overviews of the books of the Bible. As we age, we are supposed to grow and go into those different areas. But also as you grow, you realize the importance of keeping it simple. The gospel becomes more and more important to us. That's what saves us. Don't stray from it. Come back to it. I think of it as, uh, you ever heard of free diving? People who dive to great depths without the use of any mechanical devices, no scuba tanks. They call it free diving. You take one breath. And by the way, if you Google that, the world records are insane. People go down like hundreds upon hundreds of feet, one breath, and then back up. Like, what in the world? It's crazy. Free diving is awesome. I think of Christianity as free diving. First, when you're born again, you're at the surface. You take a little breath. You go down deep. You explore in the reefs, and you look at some things, and you build your lung capacity. You're, spiritu you're spiritually growing. You know a little more. You can take a bigger breath and dive a little farther. But what this point is here, holding fast the gospel, is you're always coming back up to where you started, taking a breath of the gospel air, and that motivates you to go down and learn great things and deep things. But you need to come back for air. If you don't come back for air, <laughs> um, that, I guess that's free dying. Because you just, you're, you're goner. It's, you don't have to have a burial service. You're down. You're gone. It's over. Um, come up for air. And reconnect with the gospel. That's what Paul's saying here. Coming back to the gospel. Holding fast the word of life. The gospel preaching of Christ. And there's a reason behind all of this. He has a reason why he wants us to shine. He has a reason why he himself is looking for these proofs in our lives. It's because at the last part of verse 16, so that, giving you why he said all of do all of these things, be these kind of people, because he has a motivation here. I'm glad he just pours it right out, tells you what he's thinking. Because in the day of Christ, when we all stand before Christ, when Jesus is openly acknowledged in front of everybody of all times that he is Lord, in the day of Christ, I, Paul, will have reason to glory. Trust me, 
this guy already glories? So what he's saying here is Paul wants to glory even more in God because the Philippians shined out their salvation, because they proved their salvation, because they extended their salvation into every sphere of influence, into every chore, into every activity, because the Philippians lived out the gospel, preached the gospel in such a way that more people followed Jesus. Paul wants us to live out the gospel so that more people will hear the gospel. That's what he's wanting. God gets more glory the more Christians come to him and the more unbelievers come to him. That's what Paul is saying. Now, Paul has a lot. He can glory that God already saved these people, right? Glorying in that. He has, he, that's what chapter 1 is about. He praises them. He thanks God for them. He lifts them up. He's very happy they're supporting him. Paul is super impressed that these Philippians are saved. Yes, but if you guys will shine forth the truth, You'll stop grumbling. You'll grow in holiness. You'll shine brighter and brighter. If you'll do these things, if you'll basically do what I'm doing and live out the gospel, more people can be saved. And then I, Paul, can glory more. Yeah, I can glory in you right now, but Paul is a glory hog. But not for himself. He's not looking for his own glory. He wants God to get more glory. He wants more people to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. He wants more people to sing, God, you are mighty to save me in my circumstances, me through everything I've been through. Paul is out to shine, and he wants us to shine as well. Are these proofs of salvation evident in your life? Do you grumble much? Repent. Are you growing in sanctification? But not like I should. Get back. Repent. Get help overcoming the things that are causing you to stumble. That's what we do in our small group. Yeah, we study the Bible. We spend a lot of time praying for each other, getting to know one another, humbling ourselves, serving one another. Are you shining the gospel? Shining it out. Do you know the gospel? God, man, Christ, response. God is holy. Mankind is broken. Jesus is our only hope. And Jesus expects us to respond with faith and live it out. You need to get that. You need to practice that. You need to use your money. You realize people will listen to you present the gospel if you stuff their face with food or put a coffee in their hand. Let me give you a hint. Don't buy yourself anything. While they eat, while they drink, you share your testimony. And it's not, you need to do this. That, that's usually counterproductive in our culture. Here's the best way to present the gospel. Here's what God has done for me. Share your testimony. Tell them what you've learned about God being holy. Tell them how you are broken. Tell them how Christ has forgiven you. Tell them how you have responded. It's not always this. It's this. That's a big difference. Do something. Get somebody's attention. 
bless somebody and shine the gospel out your mouth. Are you clinging to the gospel? Some of you are with both hands and you're finishing well. Thank you. And some of us are hanging on by a thread. Pull that thread. It won't break. It won't come loose. Even if all you can do is rejoice in your own salvation, pull that thing. Put all your weight into Jesus and you will find he'll give you more and more and cling and grab and go and pursue. This should be the heartbeat of our prayer lives and of our Bible reading. I need more of God. I need more of Jesus. I need, I need. That's not wrong. He's the God of all things. He wants to give you blessings. You have not because you ask not. God, I need more grace today. You're not going to exhaust his supply of grace. God, I need mercy and forgiveness again, and I'm ashamed to say it. Don't be ashamed. Confess and ask for more. He wants to grace you with himself. It's not that I need a good feeling so I can walk away and feel like I did my part. God, I need you. I need you to show up as I read and as I pray. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the word of truth. Church, Grace Way. Begin learning how to bring more and more conversations back to Jesus. Begin trying to bring more and more encounters and meals and cups of coffee and doctor's appointments back around to Jesus. Your doctor needs to hear you praise the Lord. Your doctor needs to hear that. They need to hear they're treating a person with faith. Sometimes they're waiting for you to say that because you need to open the door for them to say, yes, amen. They don't always feel free. You know, the teachers in some of our schools, they don't always feel like that's appropriate. And you at Parent Teachers Conference, by the grace of God, we're going to raise this child up. Bring God into all those conversations. They can't stop you. You pray over those teachers. You have a management meeting. You have a workers meeting. You have a staff meeting. Hey, I'm going to open in prayer. Go for it. Thank God for Jesus. Doesn't need to be long. Doesn't need to be deep. Doesn't need to be super theological or instructional. But bring him in. Bring the light to where it is dark. Bring it. Don't be afraid. You might, for the first time in your life, be persecuted for the right reason. (laughs) Not just because you're obnoxious or rude or loud, right? (laughs) Not just because you did the wrong thing. Sometimes the persecution we get, we deserve it because we mess up. We don't do our job. But imagine shining the truth in such a way that for the first time in your life, somebody persecutes you for the right reason, for Jesus. That should be a life goal of yours. Not that we're looking for persecution, but we are looking to shine the light in dark places. And when the darkness kicks back, you hit your target. When the darkness flees, Jesus is showing up. If you don't feel like Jesus has shown up in your life in a while, maybe because you haven't let him. He wants to use us. 
he wants to shine. Stand with me. Let's pray to that end. We wrap up with a song. Thank you. God, we come to you now and we ask for your help. You are the one who saves us and you are the only one who can complete our salvation. Help us to understand how we work that out. Help us to understand the balance of doing what we need to do, but also surrendering to your spirit, letting your spirit do what he needs to do. Help us to figure out how to live and walk and trust in your spirit. We are so foreign to what that looks like and what that feels like. We have, we have settled for being comfortable. And we need you to show us the darkness in our own hearts first. Lord Jesus, shine brightest inside of us, casting out our dark thoughts, our fears, our hypocrisy, our addictions, our hang-ups, our lusts, our gossiping and complaining and disputing. God, shine bright in us. That the words of our hearts and the meditations of our minds would finally become acceptable to you. We need you to do that, God, so that then we can shine out. But I'm just overwhelmed today thinking of how much more we need you. You are the God who is at work to will and to work and energize our faith within us. Do that today. As we get closer and closer to the greatest celebration this planet could ever imagine, celebrating Easter, celebrating your resurrection, your defeat of sin and death. Bring somebody across our path this week that we can invite to church, that we can invite to our homes, that we can invite to our small group, that we can invite to Jesus. <coughs> free up our schedules, free up our lives to make more room. And God, we give you permission to shine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble. At your name, the oceans roar and tumble. At your name, angels will bow, the earth will your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yah
make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his holy saints and God's people said amen, amen. God bless you